Welcome back, everyone. I am Michael, your host for Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. This is the second segment of the reading of the discussion segment for Part 2, Revised. And it begins, 21st Century Revelations. This same ancient prophecy about a war between Iran and Israel appears in other prophetic documents appearing in various languages throughout history. The revelation in the New Testament may have an encrypted telling of this same event, and there is also likely an encrypted foretelling of this same event in the prophecies of Nostradamus. There have been many similar predictions by other psychics and purported prophets. Among all the strange apocalyptic prophecies in the book of Enoch the prophet, the prophecy about a conflict between Iran and Israel seems to be realistically proven as another example of antediluvian revelations. Based upon current perspectives of how the people of these different religions are constantly at war with each other and the recent occurrences of increased hostilities that will most likely escalate as these prophecies predict. At the time Lawrence translated the Ethiopic transcript and the unknown editor published his 1883 edition, Iran and Israel were not nations in conflict with each other. Israel and Iran have been in conflict since before the time the author began writing this text and some of the predictions of events that have not yet happened are alarming in consideration of those events that have happened since the writing of the first edition. In 1883, Israel was not a nation, and Iran was known as Persia. These facts provide proof that the ancient manuscript James Bruce brought to Europe was not a fake, because it truly has predicted factual information about these two nations in the 21st century. Translators in the 19th century did not know any of what would happen nearly 100 years later, so they did not fake the translations either. It has now been 200 years since the translations of an ancient and mysterious text have predicted the conflicts that are currently occurring between Iran and Israel. Enoch's prophecy of an ongoing war between Iran and Israel is only one of many undeniable antediluvian revelations, made even more likely to occur as a result of blundering foreign policies and the misuse of the four national powers by an incompetent American president. If the predictions in Revelations chapter 13 and 14 are close to fruition, then the beast has come to power and will incite global thermonuclear warfare in the near future. There has already been a great many events occurring to prove that this prophecy is on the verge of fulfillment and many self-proclaimed prophets are only just beginning to predict the obvious that this author has been predicting since early December 2020. The Third Parable Canto 4 introduces the third and final parable in the three parable series that is split up into five cantos in this poetry format. The third parable has a protective spell that can cause the reader to mistake the identity of characters in the story. The psycholinguistic manipulations originally appearing in the early translations can cause the malediction of mistaken identity, which occurs because of the confusing organization in the ancient manuscripts. The misplacement or replacement of specific descriptive information about a character causes the reader to be unsure of who is who in the story. The successful detection of this third curse within the Book of Enoch the Prophet may have resulted from the unintentional result of lost or missing pages caused by the fragility of the documents damage occurring during transport, erroneous copying efforts, or various pronoun without a clear antecedent grammatical errors. The curiously confusing information has not gone unnoticed by other scholars who have also identified this part seems to be the contribution of Noah, 
because there seems to be a different narrative voice in the original text at this point in the story. Noah was a chosen one, but he was not the Messiah. Noah does not clearly identify himself in this contribution because he also knew he was not the Messiah. In any case, Noah's task of maintaining his great-grandfather's testimony resulted in one of his descendants writing it all from memory at a later time in history when writing on parchment became possible. The natural aging of the materials used over time to preserve the story and an unexplainable reorganization of this part of the original epic story may have unintentionally created this curse of mistaken identity. In consideration of these theoretical factors, the third spell was the easiest of the three to detect during the author's analysis of the English translation. The mistaken identity curse might also affect the unaware reader who could begin to think of himself or herself as the chosen one, while under the influence of the previous two spells. The poetic retelling eliminates the mistaken identity spell by either telling the story with a specific person identified, or it takes the approach of a neutral narrator. The cure for the mistaken identity spell is to have humility. Without humility and the willingness to accept correction, any reader of the Book of Enoch, the prophet, might come to the faulty conclusion that he or she is the chosen one, if already being unknowingly influenced by the first two curses. The protection of this spell has the intent to cause the unrighteous reader to think of himself or herself as the chosen one, being described in the tale itself. Understanding one's true identity with humility and the true identity of the chosen one become the solution to the spell in this canto, which is also the parable of understanding. Without righteous wisdom, true knowledge, and correct understanding, the reader will never discern the secret messages that Enoch can possibly know by his own contribution have hidden within this book. The Vision of the Three Curses The discovery of these three spells occurred for the author as visions or waking dreams. When the author initially began studying the 1883 translation without knowing it was cursed, the first spell caused three days and nights of sleeplessness. And this inexplicable sleep deprivation resulted in a vision of an angel holding a flaming sword while standing in front of a doorway. A lack of sleep might also be scientifically proven to cause hallucinations, particularly after three days. But the curse was designed to create this malady for the purpose of leading the reader to have a vision as a result of sleep deprivation. It was not the case that the author did not attempt to sleep, but every attempt was unsuccessful because of the constant thought about what the ancient text actually meant. Being awakened to God's eternal truth as it appeared in the book of Enoch the prophet was the result of a psycholinguistic manipulation that had a physiological effect on the author which manifested as an inability to sleep. Release from the malediction of sleeplessness occurred by praising God and repenting when having the vision. It might have been a mistake the author made to dare entry into this secret place but wisdom made it possible to prevail. A continued study of the book caused additional visions after successfully passing the first test because only a penitent man may pass. Without repentance and a true expression of worship for the one and only God of the universe, a man who dares to enter this secret domain of eternal truth protected by God's Holy Spirit will simply be turned away for lack of wisdom. The author's vision about the second curse was that it appeared as a spiral maze, but this vision occurred without the necessity of sleep deprivation. The door protected by the angel with the flaming sword had been opened by the act of repentance which resulted in a knowledge of the book's truth. 
Navigating the confusing textual elements, faulty punctuation, and erroneous grammar was very similar to navigating a maze. But the knowledge of how the first curse worked and a belief in God's eternal truth enabled the solution. Correcting the errors in grammar and punctuation has been the greatest challenge of the task that came much later to retell the story as an epic poem. There was some hesitation to think the task was to rewrite the book because of considering how this was prohibited by Enoch's prophecy. But successfully navigating the maze of errors in the translation made it more apparent that there needed to be this poetic retelling for other readers. The work has been a labor of love and a personal sacrifice. The author's vision of the third curse was the image of a hall of mirrors. Erroneously looking into the mirrors could result in a loss of identity in the sense that a person reading the text would begin to think he or she was the chosen one being referenced in the story. Admittedly, there was a brief period of time when the author had fallen into this trap, but knowing the true identity of the Chosen One to be Jesus Christ prevented any permanent loss of identity. Furthermore, having humility enabled successful avoidance of the curse's effect because averting the eyes downward to avoid looking into the mirrors is an act of humility. Getting past this third curse is a matter of understanding the necessity for humility when being corrected by Almighty God one must lower the head and eyes in humility and repent. It is with great confidence that the author can claim Jesus Christ knew the content of the book of Enoch the prophet during his lifetime, and the prophecies within the ancient texts of the book of Enoch foretold the coming of the Messiah. Jesus Christ knew and read the original sacred text of Judaism, which included the book of Enoch prior to the second temple revisions, and he came to know that he was the chosen one without confusion. It may be found in all four of the Gospels in the book of Jude and in the revelations of John that he and his disciples referred to content appearing in the Ethiopic book of Enoch. Despite the alterations made to the synoptic Gospels by heretics who wanted to discredit the story of Jesus Christ by insinuating he exalted himself and claimed to have been the Christ, he did not personally acknowledge the truth of it to others because that is one of the restrictions for a true prophet of Almighty God. He could never exalt himself by proclaiming he was the chosen one because he had the requirement to have humility and he avoided exalted himself throughout his short life on earth. This undeniable fact is one of the premises presented in this argument which claims that John 3.16 is a fraudulent editorialization of Christ's words because he would not have exalted himself in any way. John 3.16 is a pagan editorialization and a lie because Jesus Christ would not have ever insinuated that he was the Son of God and exalted himself by doing so. The one true Messiah, Jesus Christ, never exalted himself by claiming he was the Son of God because he knew that such an action was a blasphemy. Jesus knew his lineage and told it to Matthew, which is why the genealogy of Jesus appears first in Matthew's testimony. The information that follows the truth of Christ's birthright is a pagan editorialization that has also infected other documents pretending to be the truth of Christ. It has been the fault of mankind to think the species could ever be anything other than a lowly, ephemeral creature and become equivalent to God Almighty. There is only one God, and Jesus Christ was a man. The early pagan editors of the True Testimonials failed to eradicate references to Enoch in the New Testament. In particular, those uneducated and unevolved morons who masqueraded as high priests and appointed scribes to perpetuate their heresy, overlooked the literary reference in Jude's testimonial contribution to the compilation of texts that became the New Testament. 
Jude's writing indicates that Jesus and his disciples were well aware of the book of Enoch the prophet. See Jude chapter 1 verse 14. The clue has always been in plain sight, and it is one example of how God has been involved in maintaining some credibility within the writings attributed to being the truth of his plan for mankind. There are two other references to Enoch in the New Testament, but the reference in the Gospel of Luke is an innocuous repetition of what already appears in Genesis. The other reference to Enoch in the New Testament appears in the book of Hebrews, which has been identified in these discussions as an heretical fallacy, which uses the inclusion of Melchizedek as a component of the curse presently existing upon the New Testament. Who is Melchizedek? The name of Melchizedek does not appear in the poetic retelling of the book of Enoch. The information appearing here is not based on the Slavonic version, commonly known as Tuinach. Melchizedek was a human being in the time of Abraham, but Melchizedek is also the name of the Angel of Peace, who exists eternally in the court of Almighty God. The Angel of Peace is similar to the court-appointed defender, and he serves as an advocate for the accused on Judgment Day. Heretics have blasphemed God by insinuating that Jesus Christ was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. While it may likely be true that Melchizedek was the actual name of the king of Salem, Melchizedek is also the name of the angel who serves God as the angel of peace, which is similar to a court-appointed attorney for the defendants in a criminal trial. The relevancy of the event occurring in the life of Abraham after the battle in the valley of Siddim is that the actions of the king of Salem are similar to the task of God's angel of peace. This may be more completely understood by an examination of the Pesher appearing in the Dead Sea Scroll Fragment 11Q13. There will be more discussion about this ancient scroll fragment in this book, but there must be a clear understanding that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, created in the womb of a human female on earth as flesh and blood. The scurrilous lie about the birthright of Jesus Christ was created by pagan Romans and other heretics who blaspheme God by perverting the original testimonies with fraudulent editorialization before destroying the original documents. Well, that is all I'm going to cover for today's segment. There's quite a bit more and it could end up being as many as seven, maybe eight segments overall. I may want to slow down reading just a little bit. Be sure to subscribe for notifications of new releases. As always, thank you for listening. I am Michael.